you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back to This Osteopathic Life. I'm here with another episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. And today I'm joined by Dr. Eva Sesnick, better known as Dr. Efka. She is a board-certified family physician who sees patients in New Jersey. She is also an expert in exploring and expanding medical topics that can be stressful and are often lacking information with a mission to decrease stress and save lives. She is an author of multiple books on a variety of topics and director of courses where you can explore those topics in greater depth. We're going to learn more about those today. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it is my pleasure uh, to be on your podcast really means so much to me because I, I really see this um, podcast as a rock star podcast in the profession. So I am incredibly grateful. Thank you for, for having me on. Yeah, this is going to be so great. So let's go kind of to the beginning. Tell us your story into the practice of medicine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So my story into the practice of medicine began not in this country, but in a different country. So I was born in the Czech Republic uh, under communism. And our family was pretty poor and pretty oppressed, partly because uh, my dad spoke up against uh, communism. And we had a choice of he was going to be one of those people who might have disappeared or we had we had to flee the country. So we did. We escaped the country through the mountains. We went into Slovenia and then from Slovenia, we, we escaped through the mountains into Italy and lived in a uh, refugee camp for a while while we were waiting for um, ability to come to in this country, we were really hoping to come to the United States. And we were very lucky. We won a lottery. And that lottery system allowed us to come here and live in the United States. The, the problem is when we got here, uh, we were very poor. My mom, my parents didn't speak the language. I was learning the language. I was a, I was a child. And it was hard for my dad and my mom to get any job. So uh, we made ends meet, but we we lived in poverty. And my family, my my dad especially, always told me that I have to work hard and I have to study hard because here we are, look at how lucky we are. We could have died while we were making the border crossing. We, we It's possible that we have never made it into freedom away from communism. And so when we finally got here, there's this, big, big pressure on us to try to succeed and to try and make something of our lives. So I was always the person who studied and studied and learned um, as much as I possibly could with these high hopes and high dreams that I would, uh, I would make something of myself and I, I would create some kind of mission. Um, and I got to 
college, uh, full academic scholarship. And then um, I have choice of colleges, again, a top, top student. And then uh, from there, I went on to medical school uh, from actually an engineering background because I like love math. <laughs> I love science. I have such a like playing math for me is like playing board games. I just love it. <laughs> and um, but that wasn't where my heart was called. My heart was called into the service of people and making a difference in people's lives. And what an incredible privilege it is to be a physician because you really get to hear stories. You really get to know what it's like to be somebody and they will share stuff with you that they don't share with anybody else, you know? And you, you get this incredible opportunity to be able to, to, to be there for them and to listen to them and to offer the best possible advice that comes from your heart. And so we can hear probably in there why, but tell us how family medicine became the specialty of your choosing. <laughs> Um, I think family medicine allowed me to really be able to explore the relationships among people because I was delivering babies. I'm, I'm no longer delivering babies, but I was. Um, and I was taking care of children and their parents and their grandparents and really being able to see the family as a whole and how it functioned and how people live throughout the lifespans. Ah, love that. And we're hearing how these threads of health come through even from the beginning for you, right? So preserving the health of your family and sometimes, right, taking that stance and speaking out against what isn't working, isn't right in a space and being willing to endure that risk and come through that. How has that kind of cultured and flavored your life coming through that experience at such a young age? I think my life has always been one of difficulty ever since I was small. There's always been challenges, uh, challenges of living under communism, especially when you're, you're clearly told that because you are not a member of the Communist Party, you are going to, you know, something's going to happen to your family. Then there's challenges in leaving the country. There's challenges in living in a refugee camp. There are crazy, crazy stories that come out of a refugee camp. Then you come to this country, you don't know anybody. Like there's a, there, how amazing it is when you have a whole family support structure around you and a whole structure that can kind of help you and be there and be present and you know, support and people to visit on the holidays. And when you come to this country and you're alone and you come from a country that a lot of people don't come from, like Czech Republic, uh, it's, it's, it's small. <laughs> it's small. And you have to figure out how to survive and to thrive and to, to create relationships and, and to create a life for yourself. And those struggles upon struggles upon struggles in my life have created the person I am today. Even when I write my books, those books come from a place where I've been there. I've felt it. I know what it's like to have experienced it. And I know that there was something missing in what was available in the knowledge base at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us more about that. You mentioned that you bring these topics forward when they're areas of stress for people and there's areas where there's not a lot of information. And what was that first space where you identified that gap 
that you're seeking to fill with your work? Oh gosh. So more recently, and again, uh, my, my, the topics that I want to talk about are, are varied because they're things I've experienced and they're things that I think need to be more nuanced and better, um, better explained um, because what's available right now is not, doesn't show the full picture and I like being thorough. I like showing the full picture. But one of those first experiences I have with that was when my daughter was born, she was born with a medical condition called uh, FPIES, free protein induced enterocolitis syndrome, uh, for which the diagnosis code had just come up, but there were no standard guidelines. There was no guidebook to tell you what to do about it. And so it was a medical condition that exists. It was a serious medical condition where if you ate the certain foods and you had no idea when you were feeding your child what, what those foods would be, your child could go into shock. Your child could get really, really sick. And so you're looking around you and you're like, want to see the specialist? And be told exactly what you need to do because having your child in the hospital, seeing your child be sick is really, really hard. And you look around and the specialists are busy and they'll see you in three months or they'll see you in a year or that depends upon, it just really depends. And you talk to other physicians because I'm a physician and you talk to other physicians and they've never heard of that condition. So that doesn't help you. And you need answers now for like your own sanity. And so what do you do? And so one of the things I learned, and perhaps it's an osteopathic principle, is sometimes you need to be that change that you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what you need yeah. to do. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that consisted of reading all of the literature that there was about this condition, about FPIs, all of it. Mm -hmm. And then creating a book in a way that the general public can understand. Because when you're... I have a background in biostatistics and epidemiology. I got a master's in public health in it. And when you look at research papers from that background, you see them in one way. But then you have to explain those findings to other individuals in a way that makes sense to them. Because when you go see a doctor, sometimes the way they talk to you leaves a lot of questions like a lot of unanswered questions because you don't know what they're talking about. It's kind of like when I go to the car mechanic and they start telling me about my carburetor. I'm like, what? I don't understand. No idea. And so I think that medicine has to be explained on a level that's easy to understand, is concise, it gives reassurances to people and understands the nuance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you bring up there is really the origins of osteopathic medicine. It came from the space of here's how medicine is being practiced. There are some things not working well. This is the time of the Civil War, right? And there are some things we could improve upon. So how do we do better is really the question that I see that is continuously asked in osteopathic medicine, right? There's great things happening and there are some gaps in how do we continue to get curious and fill those in. And that gift to be able to translate for patients is huge, right? And that's what I think we have the opportunity in modern medicine because there is lots of information. It's widely available, right? You can Google anything, but can you translate it and understand it and make it accessible and understandable? So what do you see? How do you approach that? How do you marry those mindsets of, right? I have a statistics and epidemiology background and I'm a parent. And how do I find that path between those two? Oh, that is an incredibly good question. So 
the first thing I do is I do not look on the internet for my answers. You know where I go to? I go to the research studies. I look at the studies themselves because that is where the information comes from. And often what is shared online may not be that accurate. I've, oh gosh, I've heard so many things where I'm like, where is this information coming from? Especially if you look at it more in a nuanced way. So it really comes back to looking at the actual research studies, analyzing those actual research studies, and then coming up with your own conclusions that you can then apply to everybody else using plain English. Now, the, the other way that this matters is I read about things that I've experienced in my own life. So as someone who's experienced it that myself, I know what it's like to, to, to have the fear I know what it's like to be that parent or that child or that person who's experiencing it. And these are my questions. And these are, might not be the questions that, that one particular research study might answer. I might have to go look elsewhere. Yeah, I love that. And so what are some of the topics? I know you've written multiple books. Can you lead us through some of those spaces, including and beyond the feeding disorder that your daughter is endured and from there and forward. Thank you so much. So, so I did write a book called the FPI's Handbook. I co-wrote it by, I, I actually was the one who, like, it's all in my writing style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the FPI's Handbook is one of them. And it's about a non-IGE media food allergies, which I think need more attention. And, and it's a pretty accurate book about them at this point, my change over time. Another topic is colic. So when my baby was born, she cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. Inconsolable cries, ear-piercing cries that we could not stop for long, long, long periods of time. And it was so heart-wrenching for me as a parent to go through that. And of course, there's books about colic, but I wanted to look at all of the literature. Like, what are we missing? What else do we need to know that no one's talking about? And uh, you will find uh, that my book, The the Colic Handbook, is going to describe it at an incredibly deep level that I I don't think any other book, sorry, sorry, sorry if you're listening and you're one of the authors, but I don't think think any of the other book has looked at as, as thoroughly. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be available. I'm actually going to do that one as a Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. in the in mid December, it's going to be available as a Kickstarter program, because one of the things I want to do is I want to go out and I want to hear the stories of people who've experienced call. Like I have my own stories from the patients I've seen. I have my own stories with what I've gone through myself, but I want to make this a collaborative book where I have all the research. I've read everything there is to know about colic in the, uh, I, I Sorry, in in the in, in on PubMed in the research studies, but I want to have bring bring the whole life experience to it. Like, what is it like to experience that? So I feel like I can make that more of a collaborative po- project if I do it through Kickstarter. Absolutely, and that's such a key problem, right? It can feel so challenging in those earliest days when you're tired already and you want to really connect with your baby, and it feels like you're blocked from you doing are. that. You are. Absolutely. You are. And, and you look at other babies and those other babies are seem so happy and they seem mm-hmm. to be smiling. And then you've already made so many changes in your own life once the baby is born because you're spending so much time around them. It might be harder to shower and it's harder to do a whole bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. add to that. 
that ear piercing cries of colic and your need to console your baby. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's hard. Yeah. And you mentioned these courses and I'm curious and what I hear and I'm sure is in the book as well is how do you support the parents in their own mindset and their coping strategies around that, even as we're working to make improvements for the child themselves? There's a lot of that I'm feeling as a parent, right? That comes through in there and I should be able to answer my baby's needs. I'm curious if your courses give space to explore that, right? To explore that kind of whole family unit experience, particularly around colic. Absolutely. They, they do. And, and then that's, I'm going to have these courses that are going to go through colic. We're going to have group sessions. We're going to have families that come together who are all experiencing colic. And we're just going to create a sense of community because how nice it would be to be in a place where you, you know the medical stuff, you, you have access to the medical stuff, you have access to the literature, but you also have access to each other. Mm-hmm. Because by being able to talk about uh, among yourselves, you're no longer feeling as alone. You're feeling like you're part of a group that's going through it together. You're creating the sense of community. One of the hardest things to experience when you're a new parent is a sense of loneliness. There's a big, there can be a sense of a big transition yeah. and loneliness because you can no longer go out, especially if you're a first time new parent, you can't no longer go out and hang out with your friends whenever you want. Mm-hmm. You, your baby becomes your top priority and you need to give yourself space to grieve that transition, that the massive transition that's happening in your life with the birth of a baby. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe we'll look at that a little more. You mentioned that too, in your own transition, you know, from your home country to the United States and not having that community. And we look at that as a key part of health, right? That connection and looking at unity, in osteopathic medicine, the community has it built in, right? It's in the word. So how have you found ways to build that up when maybe you aren't naturally finding yourself in a space of community? Of course. So community can happen naturally to you. If you are like in back in Europe, I have tons of cousins. I have a huge, huge family. Everyone had many, many children. People that people live in villages, and everybody knows each other in the villages. And so there's this built-in sense of community that comes from just being together. Um, and also more of like a communal life. And here in this country, it's different. I think we're much more individualistic, where there is an expectation that you eventually most of us move away from our parents. We move away from like our grandparents or our homes of origin, and we create these own lives uh, in this part of this nuclear family that may be very far away from anybody else. And all of a sudden you're there and you have all this individuality because it's just you and maybe a spouse or you and your children, but you lose those connections. And then, so you have to then create those connections and creating those connections can be hard, especially when you are stressed because you are so busy just trying to survive that it's hard. Like there's, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And when you're busy, just trying to like focus on like showering and taking care of your baby, it's harder to do other things like create purpose in life and create socialization. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And looking at your mission, right? Decrease stress and save lives. And those can be synonymous, right? We know stress has chronic and even acute 
health implications. And so let's talk a little bit more about that. How do we see stress, maybe particularly right now, right? We're in the midst of, I don't even know, I've lost kind of the waves, right, of the pandemic of the coronavirus as it emerges. So how do we see the impacts of stress in our world around us? Sure. Very, very good question. So um, I wanted to go back to this this, this conversation about unity. Mm -hmm. So when you are under a lot of stress, let's say you have a baby who has a lot of colic, let's say that you have um, COVID and you're really not able to leave the house so much. Nowadays, you can find togetherness with other people in your shared difficulties, in your shared challenges. And so those challenges can bring you together. And the way you find other people who are experiencing the challenges in the way that you are is you have to go out there and you have to talk to them or you have to join groups. Um, and there are groups. There, there are groups that are specific for uh, individuals with specific challenges. There are the groups for uh, children who have food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. There are groups for new mothers. There are groups of people who are going through some of the challenges of COVID-19. And so you bring yourself together into that group, but being in that group may not necessarily be enough. Be enough. You also have to um, speak out in the group. You have to try to form those relationships or, mm-hmm. or have the other people who have gone before you who are still in those groups who are in a different place in their lives right now have hopefully some of them right now, they feel in their hearts that they want to give back because they know what it's like with you're going through these challenges. And so they are out there and they're sharing their hearts and sharing their journeys with you in hopes that it will help. It will help that you. And then for them also brings them like purpose in all of this difficulty and then brings them healing. Absolutely. What I hear in there And while, of course, we don't wish these challenges on ourselves or on each other, but when we do find the gift within them, that difficulty can be a gateway to connection and seeing that sometimes these common threads hold that power and bring us some of our strongest relationships, right? When we're forged in those times of difficulty, it can certainly come out even greater strength. I love that. Talk to me about the saving lives. So we can see decreasing stress and increasing connection. We know that loneliness right, is its own epidemic as well. And how do you see lives being saved through the books and the courses and the information you're able to share in this accessible way with people? Sure. So lots and lots and lots of examples of that. Um, one concrete example that's like very literal in terms of life saving is when it came to food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome of FPIs, one of the things that can help save lives as children are really getting sick from this is the use of a medication called Zofran or Advanced Syndrome. The problem is that if you don't know what to do with this condition because you've never heard of it before, you're not going to think, oh, I need to give this child a lansentron that's going to make a difference. It, it is a good chance of perhaps even literally saving the child. And um, so by spreading knowledge, you literally, and making the doctors aware or making the parents aware that they need to tell the doctor, this is the medication you need to give, um, you, you've, you've saved lives. So that's one example. Another example has to do with families and fractured families. And so 
saving lives may not necessarily be saving a life in the literal sense. It could be in a figurative sense where perhaps you're saving the life of the family. So examples of that, if you have a baby who has colic, who just cries and cries and cries and cries, eventually the crying hopefully will get better. Almost always does. And, but what you're left with is fractured families. What you're left with is families that still are experiencing the trauma from that period of colic years later. And you see that couples who would might not have divorced all of a sudden are divorcing because of the trauma that they experience and the, the way they handle it and how, how differently their handling of it might have been. And even that, just the acknowledgement that that is traumatic, right? And that they're not doing anything wrong, right? This isn't typical parenting and these are unique challenges. Even just putting some light there saying, right, this is likely a finite experience. And yes, it's uniquely enhanced in its challenge right now. And finding even just that space, like you mentioned, the community, other people who can say, yeah, me too, right? This is happening for us too. And it's not just you can give some breath. Realizing that people have different stress responses, right? So um, I'm a type A, I'm a type A, <laughs> yeah, and so as a type A, when I'm under stress, I go full steam ahead, full steam ahead, and I like forget about everything else, and I focus at the problem at hand until it gets solved. Mm-hmm. And then pair me with someone like my husband, who is so much not a type A. And his response is more of one that starts off with denial Mm -hmm. and avoiding the situation or moving away from the situation or going away and separating. Mm -hmm. And you get two people who are at odds where neither of them feels like they understand each other and what are they doing and both of them wind up feeling pretty alive. Mm-hmm. where in fact you don't often marry the person who's exactly like you you marry someone who's a little bit different and mm-hmm. their stress response you could be great otherwise but their mm-hmm. stress response may be different than yours and acknowledging that and and being empathetic to that is important yeah, absolutely. And then we just see that visual of the space between, right? So if you're going full steam at the problem and he's retreating going the other way, there's a big gap that's coming in there. So I love this this visual of filling the gaps and also building bridges, right? So we don't always just fill it all in underneath. But we find those ways to traverse some of those fractures and chasms that can happen in these difficult situations. So tell us what's coming up for you. We mentioned colic and the feeding disorders. What other spaces are of interest to you, maybe not already in book form, but I'm curious where else you see opportunities. Oh gosh, I have a whole bunch. So <laughs> I have like, I, one of the joys of being a physician and seeing patients for, for over a decade and also just like thinking things through in my head and some else of a thinker is these, the, this nuanced way of looking at things. And there's a whole bunch of ways that we need to look at very many different topics in more of a nuanced way to make it more real and more accurate of what's going on. So um, I, have a, I, I got sick for a while with all the stress that was going on with me, um, uh, with, with my daughter and trying to help her. 
And um, I wound up with really high calcium levels in my body. No one pays attention to and so there needs to be a good book about the importance of this electrolyte need called calcium because doctors might look at a calcium level of someone who's like 10.1, 10.2 without understand and say, oh, it's okay, just borderline high without understanding the full implications of that or exploring it further. So that's an example. Um, I have books that are going to be coming out about children with feeding challenges. And why aren't they feeding? What's going on? What's causing the feeding to be such a, such a, such a difficulty? Because um, I feel like feeding challenges in children needs to be its own subspecialty. It needs to be its own pediatric subspecialty, but it doesn't exist. And so often you are sent from a uh, Specialist, a specialist, a specialist, a specialist, but the specialists don't necessarily give you that much. And it would be good to look at the whole field more from like a generalist standpoint. So, so that that's another thing that's of interest to me. And then I have a book about pod, uh, podcasting. I love it <laughs> because I failed. This is my I failed as a podcaster, as a solo podcaster. Uh, I found it so hard to put my ideas together in a monologue for a podcast, even though I can do it everywhere else. Applications <laughs> <laughs> forever. Write <laughs> mm-hmm. books, not hard. But that monologue thing was hard for me on a podcast, and so mm-hmm. I feel that that was one of those statistics that gave up on podcasting for a while. And so, if I'm going to go back to it, I need to come back to it better and stronger. And I think that the book I have fills in the gaps to make podcasting so much easier to do. Yeah. And even there, right. So had you been successful and we could even have a whole episode about those words, right. Failing and succeeding, but because there were challenges for you, you found the way to create a formula that will help others. And so finding the gift right in those challenges becomes that recurring theme. It is. And we've heard so many beautiful ways, but I'm curious if you could sum it up. Right. And hold all the things that you're doing and the vision for what's to come. How do you see yourself for the health of all things? I see myself as somebody who wants to change the world through my own struggles and through my own experiences and through my repeated Failure after failure, after difficulty, after difficulty. I want to take those experiences and put meaning in them that will not just help me to heal from those difficulties, but will help others and will make their lives easier. Love that. And thank you, because it really does bring the osteopathic principle forward, right? Dr. H.E. still had challenges in his own family and said, why? Why did this happen? And how can I help others? through the struggle that I had. So I think absolutely you're bringing that concept to fruition. You're, you're amazing. Excellent. Thank you. Well, please do tell the listeners where they can find you and where they can find out more about your book. I know as this episode is being released, your colleague book will be hitting the press. Yeah. So where can we find more information? And more, more to come. This is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you can find more information on me on my website, drevka.com. So Everyone knows, knows how to spell doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R, and Evka is E-V-K-A.com. And then you can look me up on Amazon with all my books under Eva Cessnek, M-D. And Cessnek is C-E-S-N-E-K. Thank you. Thank you. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. Well, thank you for all that you're doing. 
for the work you're putting out there for the translation of these topics that can be so challenging for building community and for supporting health in so many ways. Yay, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.